This is Pastor Chadwick King. I hope you enjoy the ministry of God's Holy Word today provided by the Promise Center Media Ministry. Please share this lesson or sermon with your friends and family. And may the Lord bless you. It's going to be a warm day. I'm protesting summer officially. I'm done. I'm ready for the cool weather to come back. And uh, we are uh, thankful for a wonderful and safe serve day. I was more nervous about the safety part than getting work done, but it was awesome. And uh, thank you all for uh, sowing into the future and the heart and vision of this house. It really, really means a lot. And we're very thankful for uh, the money that was raised. And again, I went from the bottom of my heart, I know <clears throat> that that's hard-earned money. I know that you sowed it in faith for the vision and the future of what God is doing in uh, Sonoma County. So thank you from the bottom of our heart as a staff and uh, church family. God bless you in Jesus' name. I'm going to be uh, doing something a little bit different today. I'm going to actually be taking next week's message and teaching it today uh, on the will of God. And then next week, or this, today's message, be teaching it next week. So I do apologize if you came expecting to hear about um, if there's a God, then why. Honestly, I just needed a little bit more time to finish it up, and it wasn't burning in my heart yet. So I got to be true to what's in my heart. So I'm going to be teaching on the will of God today. Is that all right? Okay. So uh, I will be next week teaching, and it's going to be a little bit of apologetics. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of information, so we'd love for you to come and and be a part of that. I do want to kind of dispel a lot of uh, ideas about God, His nature, evil, uh, science. We're going to talk about a lot of big big things and and do some fact-checking also. Um, I was in the car this week with my my youngest. He's seven years old. His name is Jude. Uh, We call him Judas Maximus. Heidi got back from Brazil on on Monday, and of course, on any long trip, you come home, and what do you want? Sleep. In and out. No, not sleep. In and out. She wanted an In and Out burger, and I said yes, ma'am. And I tried to do that in Portuguese; it didn't work. But I said yes. Went and got her In and Out. So Jude and I are in the car, going to get In and Out. And so he wanted some fries. He's got ketchup. He's doing this. He says, "Dad, I figured out and found out where ketchup comes from." And I was like, "This is awesome! You're so brilliant!" And he said, "It comes from cows." And I was like go on. And he said, yeah, they feed the cows tomatoes and sugar and it produces ketchup. And I said, where did you get this information? And he said, from Joshua. Joshua told me this. And he said, oh, dad, I know it's true because Emma confirmed it. That's what he said. (laughs) Emma confirmed it. It is true. So we're going to do some fact check next uh, week and be uh, kind of dispelling a few things that may be more in the myth world and theory world than truth, but we're going to have a lot of fun, bring our thinking caps, open our hearts, and I know God's going to do great work. Amen? Amen. All right, by a show of hands, how many here, how many here want to, uh, one, know the will of God for your life? I want to know the will of God for my life. Awesome. Almost every hand. Great. Awesome. How about this? How many here, if you knew God's will, you are certain you would do it? <laughs> All right. That was a little bit tricky. All right. I want to kind of open up this, this, this conversation about the will of God. It is a difficult one, and there's a lot of different aspects and facets of the will of God. I'm going to try to do my best to just, again, give you something to think about, give you something to chew on, take it home, and, and let God uh, just continue to inspire you and speak to you through his word. But I do know that there's a lot of misnomers about the will of God, and a lot of people treat the will of God kind of like, well, you know, it's kind of like the eight ball, you shake it, and you're like, okay, God, do you want me to do this? And it's like, 
no, didn't get the answer I want. I'm going to shake it again. You're just kind of like, I know what I want, so I want God to know what I want. I want God to want what I want. And, and so I want to kind of just, just kind of get a 35,000 uh, feet perspective on the will of God and then with you kind of land the plane and kind of, kind of bring it home a little bit at the end because I, I feel like when we, when we understand what God's will is in the general sense and that God does have a plan for you, um, because there's a lot of people who don't believe that. There's some people who believe that, that God doesn't have a plan. There's just this deism. God made everything. He's kind of far away from everything. He doesn't really care. He's not really interested in what we do specifically. And, and I want to dispel that because I really believe that God has a clear and distinct purpose for your life. It's not ambiguous. It's not like, well, just kind of kind of mosey through life and, and kind of do some good. And then when you're at the end of your life, hopefully did more good than bad. And then, and then we give you two thumbs up at the end and we'll go to heaven and we'll do kumbaya together. I think there's more to it. I think there's purpose and mission and design and function and honor and will and, and, uh, and, and, and passion that's connected to the will of God. In fact, they did a, they did a secular survey sent it out, and they, they had this question, if you could ask God anything, whether you believe in God or not, but if you could ask, if there's a higher power or a creator, and you could ask him anything, what would it be? And here's what the response was. The majority said, we would want to know what God's will is, and why are we here? What, what is God's will for my life, and why are we here? And a lot of people have, have taken this will of God thing, and and uh, man, they, because they don't understand it, they make miss moves. They move incorrectly. They, they jump too quick or they react too slow. And so I want to just help you today kind of, again, see the big picture. For instance, I'll give you, for instance, if a person comes to me and says, hey, I, uh, I'm going to China. I'm going to be a missionary. I'd be like, that's awesome. But then I'd back up and say, how do you know you're supposed to go to China? And if they say, well, I was at a Chinese restaurant eating Szechuan chicken, and uh, I was like, wow, this Szechuan chicken is amazing. I ought to be a missionary to China. Obviously, they'd be like, red flags, so what are we doing? Are we going to pray about it? No, I already quit my job. Me and the kids were eating fortune cookies and reading, and we're, we're really enjoying getting prepared. And so all of us here would know, like, uh, there's something wrong with that. Yet, many of us react, respond, based on feelings, emotions, will, want. And the question is, are we really consulting with God, are we honoring him, and the things that he has told us, are we doing them now? So we're going to look at the big picture. Romans chapter 12 and 2 says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. We've got to think correctly. We've got to have the right paradigm about God's plan and will. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. This is specific. This is for you. Yes, God has a will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. It is good, pleasing, and perfect. So here's the first question I get all the time when people ask about the will of God. What if I'm doing good stuff? Like I'm a good person and I'm doing good. My, my good kind of outweighs the bad. Is that good? Is that good enough? What if I don't know God's will? What if I don't even care about God's will? Does it even matter? It's like asking, hey, I have a $300,000 car, but I'm missing one tire. Does it really matter? It does matter. It does matter. 
Because it's not about just doing and being busy. The Father's business is not busyness. It's about doing what God has called you as an individual and us corporately as believers to do. So we got to know that. We've got to ask the hard question. We've got to lean into it. We've got to be intentional about it. It's so intentional that when Jesus gave us a formula of how to pray, not what to pray, but how to pray, he included, not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done. Like, like uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so this is something that is intentional. It's something that has to be thought about. It has to be, some, it has to be something that, that you put in the forethought of your heart and mind. And I believe, again, if you do that, you will see great days ahead of you because it is good, it is pleasing, and it is perfect. So here's the problem. I'm going to give you two, a two-fold problem with the will of God. One is a lot of people see the will of God as an either-or, that it's one decision or another decision, that it's always, it's always left, right, uh, door A, door B. And here's, here's the big idea with, with the, the, the notion of good and evil, and this is how many people assess what's right and wrong for their life. They basically say, if it's good, I'm going to do it. If it feels good, do it. If it is socially accepted, then we do it because it is good. Everybody say good. So we say, it's good, then it's good for me. If it's good, then it's what I need to do. If it's good, then it's acceptable. If it's good, then it's the thing that I'm going to do because it's, it's good. Here's the real question. Where does good come from? Where, what is good? Where, where does the notion and the idea of good come from? Well, it comes from the garden, and it comes from this tree called the knowledge of good and evil. And guess what? The knowledge of good and evil both come from the same tree, are both planted in the earth. They're both earthly. They're both something that is uh, secondary to the knowledge of God. So we have in the garden, when Adam and Eve are created, we have this relationship and knowledge of God that existed before in the knowledge of good and evil. And when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, guess what happened? It introduced two new knowledges into the earth. I'm giving you a Bible study very quickly here. So we have the knowledge of God, we have the knowledge of good, and we have the knowledge of evil. The knowledge of God, knowledge of good, knowledge of evil. And so a lot of people go, it's good, so it must be God. Well, good is relative to evil. It's not necessarily relative to God. Here's what that means. It means this. A lot of people will say, well, it's not evil. I'm not evil, so I'm a good person, right? I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a mass murderer, so I'm a good person. So because I'm doing good, I'm doing God's will. And this is the huge misnomer. I don't want to do it the good way. I want to do it God's way. I don't want to live a good life because I'm not evil. Well, what would you do in this life? Well, I didn't kill anybody. It's all relative to evil. You're comparing your life to evil. Therefore, you're justifying the, the big realm, the wide road. The Bible says, right, wide, broad is the way, right, that leads to destruction. In fact, the Bible says this. It says, Proverbs chapter 16 and 25, Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. It's good, it looks good, it sounds good. All your friends will be like, you're a good person, but what if we were to step back and say, what if good doesn't equal God? What if, what if God's higher level of thinking, his ways are above our ways, good is relative to what we think about ourselves, but what if we wanna do it God's way and step into his will and embrace it for our lives? That's the first, that's the first conundrum we gotta deal with. The second conundrum is this is the source of the knowledge of the will of God for your life is solely God. 
You're not going to discover this by uh, going to a leadership meeting. You're not going to discover this by, you know, getting a bunch of likes on Facebook. And everybody like, you're, you're, you, should, you, should write, you should write for the Washington Post. You're so awesome, which is cool. Have talents, have gifts. But knowing God's will, the Bible says our life is hid in Christ. So as we discover Christ, guess what happens? We discover who we are. We discover how he's made us. We discover the plan as we discover the man, Christ Jesus. We discover him, we discover ourselves. Proverbs chapter 16 and 9, I love this verse. It says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We can make plans. We can go, it should be this way. It looks good that way. This looks good on paper. This will look good on the resume. But at the end of the day, it's the Lord who determines our steps. And so with this idea, we got to realize, I can't build my life on someone else's blueprint. I can't build my life on your blueprint. I can't look at what you're doing and go, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm called to do. I've got to say, God, what is the purpose, your purpose in my life? Have you ever noticed that Jesus deals differently with every person he interacted with in the Gospels? Like the rich young ruler, he's like, I want to follow you. He's like, sell all you have. Thief on the cross doesn't even say, hey, forgive me for my sins. He goes, remember me. You'll be with me today in paradise. It's like, huh? The centurion, remember him? He comes to Jesus. He's like, hey, Jesus, I need a miracle. Jesus is like, let's go to your house. He's like, no, let's just, you can just pray it, right? Jesus is like, kaboom, I like that. Prayer, done. And then you got Jairus, right? The ruler of the synagogue, gets Jesus. He's like, right off the boat, hey, I need you to come to my house. Walking through the town, all these people, what is going on? Lady with an issue of blood reaches out, touch, Jesus stops. This whole time, Jairus is like, this is time sensitive. We gotta get to my house. Completely different than how he dealt with the centurion. So the point is, is that I can't look at your life and go, that's the will of God for me. Jesus deals differently with everybody. And if we take people's personal template and try to apply it to our own life, again, we will find ourselves in that conundrum, all right? So how do we find God's will? We got many people raise their hands. I want to know God's will. We had fewer people raise their hands. I think I'll do it whenever I know it, all right? We'll get to that in just a moment. But, but we, we really do want, and, and on some level... At least the, the, the statistics are people want to know God's will and they want to know why they're here. And so if we want to do that, then let's look at how we can discover God's will for our life. And this is going to seem real basic. Number one, especially, it's going to seem really basic, but I think it's going to help some people in this room. Number one is the scriptures, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. It's the book for me. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible. Okay? Here's what we know about God's character is that his word is even above his name. His word, like the, the word of God is like his flesh. It's, it's him. It's his nature. So one thing that we'll, we'll never do, we'll never see God being like, hey, um, you know, I want you to violate my word, my nature to do my will. The will of God is always going to come into congruence and alignment with the word of God. Okay? If Mario comes to me and says, hey, I promise God told me to steal the slushy." I'm going to be like, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but as long as you can still sing good. No, I'm just kidding. That was a terrible joke. Here, here, here's, what we, here's what we have learned, and this is just from observation. This is what the Bible teaches us. When we come into congruence with God's word, guess what happens? We, we learn his written word. We begin to hear his spoken word, his living word. As we get connected with the, the written word, something happens. Jesus said, my, my sheep know my voice 
and they follow me. There's just something about knowing God's word that is so imperative to knowing God's will. Don't know his words, it's gonna be very difficult to know his will, or if you know his, if you, if you hear him speak, it's gonna be hard to balance that, test that, and know whether it is from God or not. And so Jesus gives this beautiful picture. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. Guess what the dumbest animal on the planet is? Sheep, you know, like the smartest are dolphins. Jesus did not say, you are my dolphins. If you follow me, you know, you know, that's not what he did. He's like, you're sheep and you're, and, and sheep aren't like, like, like a cat gets out of the house. Like a cat has an instinct to defend itself. Like a, like the sheep don't have any instinct. They're like in the field, like what's for dinner? Oh, I'm for dinner. And they're like, bad. That's why they say bad. It's bad. They're saying bad. This is bad. We're sheep. And, and the one thing that keeps us safe and the one thing that keeps us right is knowing, hearing, and following the voice of the shepherd. And if you don't have that in your life, I'm, I'm sorry. It's going to be very hard to walk in the fullness of what God has for you. If we don't know his word, we don't know his will, we don't know his voice, I got to know God's voice. I got I to gotta be able to hear his voice. My sheep know my voice. They follow me. You know why they don't need to protect themselves? Because I'm protecting them. If they're with the shepherd, they're safe. If they're with the shepherd, they're going to be okay. If they're with the shepherd, they're going to have substance of food. They're going to be all right. So we got to have the word. Psalms chapter 119 and 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. If you don't have the word in your life, guess what? You're going to be walking in darkness. You're going to be stumbling. You're going to be like, why does this keep happening? Why do I keep failing? You don't have God's word in your life. You say, well, where do I begin? It begins with going to small group. It begins with getting um, you know, the Bible app on your phone and listening to it. Uh, if, you're, if you're a voracious reader, you love to read, there's a lot of great book, uh, Bibles um, that we can we can pass on to you and share with you and, and, and tell you which one would probably work best for you. If you like to read, there's different versions of the Bible, translations of the Bible, and some are for studying, some are for more reading. But like start, like I want to know God's will. I want to know God's will. This is his will and testament. He wrote this for you and about you. You're a citizen and you're his children. This is, a, this is, this is, the, this is the family estate right here. This is how everything works. So the word of God is so important. I'm going to give you three general wills of God that are in the Bible, and then we'll move on quickly. The general will of God, this is for everybody, and there's, a, there's many of these. I'm going to give you just three of them. Number one, it's the will of God for everyone to repent. Like it's the will of God for everybody in their life. Nobody, nobody's born saved. For everybody to go, oh, that aha moment, I'm lost, I'm a sinner, I, I need help. I can't do this myself. And there's a Savior named Jesus who made it possible to have a relationship with God again. Awesome. Repent. Turn my heart back. For 2 Peter chapter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's look at the beginning of that. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some call slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. He's long-suffering. He's waiting for you to make the move. Not willing, not willing, he's not willing. He's, he's waiting on you because he is not willing. It's not his will that you should perish. Everybody has to repent. Everybody, it's the will of God. Let me just tell you, if you want the first, next, best move in finding, discovering, and fulfilling God's will for your life, repent of your sins, turn to Jesus. Is that okay? 
You say, well, the, the churches and this and that, and when the church got hurt, don't believe in religion, da da da, da. Here's what Jesus said about that. They said, oh, Jesus, you're, you're, you're having dinners with sinners. You're a wine-bibber. And, and, and then he says, well, you said John was a wild, crazy man. What did you go out to see? A, a reed shaken in the wind, a crazy man? He said, if I send you a, a man in soft garment, you wouldn't receive him. A man who preached against sinners, you didn't receive him. A man who sits with sinners, you never receive. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what I send you or what the package is. Your heart is hard toward God. You need to repent or you perish. That was Jesus' message. And if it just, if it fits my world. No, 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 no. I, you need to fit into his world. If he just fits into my world. I got to move on because that disgusts me. Anyways. The general will of God, everyone's to live holy. Everyone's to live holy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. It's God's will we should avoid sexual morality. It's God's will that we should control our own body. That's holy and honorable. Like, that's God's will. What's God's will? That's God's will. I want to do God's will. Let's start with those first two. The next thing says... Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18. Move to the next chapter. The Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. You know the next thing, like God's will for you? It's like wherever you are, whatever's happening in your life, to be able to stop, pause, lift your hands, lift your heart, and say, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. In the good and the bad, good season's bad. In the days of not enough, in the days of more than enough, be able to pause and say, whatever state I'm in, I'm able to be grateful and thankful. That's the will of God concerning us. Amen? Let's move to number two. I want to know God's will. How do I know God's will? Number one is the scripture, the word of God. We've got to get in it. We've got to learn it. We've got to love it. God's plan. I would say 95% of God's plan is in the word for you already. What should I do? It's right there. Number two. We don't know God's will because we don't ask for his will. I'm going to show you a verse here. Jeremiah 29 and 11. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says this. For I know the plans I have for you. I love that. Just that right there. Just kind of soak in that. I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. Now, a lot of people have a misnomer. We'll just leave that scripture up. A lot of people have a misnomer about like prayer. They're like, I don't know how to pray. So many people say this, I don't know how to pray. You know how Jesus started the pattern of prayer? This is how he started it. Our Father, which basically like in its original is like Abba. These are like the first words that babies say. Abba, Abba. He's like, when you come to God, just be like Abba, Abba, like Daddy, Abba, Abba, Abba. Like that's what literally he's saying. Just, just be like, Dad, I don't know what to say. I'm kind of here, just needing some help. Pick me up. Yeah. If you can be like Abba, you can pray. Dad, Dad. That's it. Well, I don't know what to pray. I don't really know the King James, these and thou's and that. Let me tell you, no one's impressed, not even God, with that language. It's not more powerful it's not more sanctified because you say it in an eloquent way. It's cool if you think, like, thou art so great, O oh God. I beseech thee, come with your train and fill this room. How about, like, God, I just need you to show up. You know what I mean? Like, ah. 
It's like that simple. Show up, God. It's that simple. Abba, Abba. So it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And watch, this verse is so powerful. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of interested in knowing. You won't know. It doesn't work that way. I wish it did. I wish that God was like, everybody just gets to know. Everyone get, everyone's just going to know the will of God. There, there is a posture that is required for us to step into the blessing of knowing what's in God's heart for us. He says, when you seek me with everything, you will know. You will know. It's got to go, you got to go all in. How many here has ever bought a, a toy for, a, for your kid and you got home and that, that you, un, you unwrapped it and you didn't see the little thing that said batteries not included. <laughs> Have you ever done that before? You're like, we've got A, double A, triple A. We got C. I don't have D. Why is there D? Okay. And then your wife's like, go to the store. And you're like, I think it's closed. And she's like, you know it's not. And you're like, fine, I'll go. And you go get the da- batteries and, and, you, and you come back and you're like, okay, here we are. And it's like, you only got 4D batteries. It requires 6D batteries. They sell them in fours. I'm, what is happening? I think that there's a toy battery conspiracy. But anyways, and so you do what any great dad would do. You put those four in hoping it will work. You try to jimmy rig it, right? And here's what you really quickly learn is that one battery is the same as two batteries, is the same as three batteries, is the same as five batteries, it still doesn't work. It doesn't work until you put everything into it that is required. And the moment you put your whole heart into this, everything turns on. You're like, whoa, this is what I've been with. I've been religious. <laughs> yes, you have. Yes, you have. That's how it works. Here, here's a conversation God had in the Old Testament. Genesis 18, he says, Abraham's my friend. Should I not show him my plans? He's my friend. Should I not show him what's in my heart to do? He's my friend. And before God did things, he told Abraham what he was gonna do. He's a friend of God. And Jesus in John chapter 15 says, you are my friends. You're no longer slaves. You're not servants. You're my friends. Whatever the Father shows me, I'm going to show you. I want to give you privy information. I want to give you behind the scenes. I want you to, how many's ever done like the behind the scenes before? I got a couple people, like one time I got to, we went to Universal Studios, it was like behind the scenes, the VIP. I was like, this is amazing. Get to see how it's all done. That's what they do. That's why they look really cool. That's why this looks like this. And they showed you how all the animatronics and all the lighting, like the behind the scenes. God's like, hey, I want to pull the blinders up. I want to show you what's happening. I want to sh-. God's like eager to share that with people. I got the pass here. All you got to do is just give me all your heart. I'll just show you everything that I'm, like my intent, my heart, my heart for Sonoma County, my heart for this world, my heart for Jerusalem, my heart for the, I just want to show, I want to show you what's in my heart, but I need your heart so I can show you my heart. God wants to share that with us. Number three, this is super important. We, we talked about the word of God. We talked about asking. We've got to ask. We've got to ask. 
Number three is we gotta apply. We gotta apply. This is called wisdom. James says if, if you ask wisdom, you can get it. If you ask for a lot of it, you can get more of it. God does not withhold it. He wants to give you the ability to apply what you know. So I don't want to just know God's will. I want to be able to apply God's will. Can I get an amen from anybody in the house? I want to apply God's will in my life. You know, hey, God, you know, God, speak to me. God put something on your heart, maybe to share something with a stranger, maybe to, you know, create a consecration in an area of your life, in your heart, whatever it is. And we're like, that's not what I want. We have this romantic idea about the will of God. Like when God speaks to me, it's going to be like whoo, Disneyland, just the, the fireworks. I'll say, yes, I'll do that. And then God, but what God really does is he wants to see how we steward the little things. Because the product of our life is not really two or three big decisions. It's the many small decisions. Because it's not desire that determines our destiny. It's the decisions we make that determine our destiny. We don't just make decisions, we're made by our decisions, so we've got to be good decision makers. In fact, no offense to the millennials here, I love you, I missed you by a couple years, but the millennials are, no, like the new study on the millennials is they're the worst at decision making. It, they're just, they're, the paralysis by analysis. One, they said there's three reasons. One is because there's so many decisions now. You know, back in the day, like we had cable back like, in the, in the mid-80s, there was like 14 stations. That was like cable. Now there's like 1,400 stations, right? And that's if you want to do cable. You can do Netflix. You can do Hulu. You can play video games. You can, now, the second reason is, is because there's this false infatuation with perfection. The millennials are not making decisions because they have this idea about perfection. Paralysis by analysis, not because social media... So it's hard to make decisions. It's hard to make decisions. And so we, we've, we've got to be better at making decisions. We've got to be better at making decisions. How many want to be better at making decisions? How many here know that if you were better at making some decisions in your past, maybe you wouldn't be where you are today? Just a little bit. I'm just saying. And, and, and... Sorry. That, was, that sounded a little harsh. That wasn't supposed to be harsh. And so what we're suffering from in our culture is they're calling it choice fatigue or decision fatigue. They, did, they actually did a study where they, they had, I, I forget how many, 100, 300, um, I believe it was, um, people up for parole that went before one board and it was all day long before one council. And so they, they, they did this study and this was a, this was a real council, this is, this is real parole uh, meetings there were 1,200 decisions that were made in one day that these, this council had to make, 1,200 decisions, big decisions. And the study showed that those that went before the council in the morning, 70% got parole. Those in the evening, 10% got parole. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Why? Because of decision fatigue. So when we make decisions, we don't want to make quick, hasty decisions. We want to stop and pause. We want wisdom and time. We want counsel and meditation to be a part of how we lead our lives. Because the one thing you have, the one thing that no one can take away from you is your choice. Not even God will take it away. God won't override it. You ever pray for someone, you're like, God, just, just, just override their will. Just get them saved. God doesn't do that. 
It is a work of the will. It is a work of grace. And I do believe in the power of grace and it's how irresistible it is. I really do believe in it. But at the end of the day, a person has to respond to the cross and respond to grace. There is a response and God is not gonna override your will. So the choice is so important and, it, and it's so powerful. We don't just make choices. We're made by our choices. So when we're making decisions. We have, to, we have to have a little bit of a checklist. We gotta have a way to filter decisions. The first way we filter decisions is, hey, I got this thing that's in my heart. Um, the Bible teaches us that there's two or three witnesses that have to be established, right? Like, I'm going to China because I, I love Szechuan chicken. It's like, hey, pastor. It's not asking. It's not going, hey, can I get some prayer? Can we got the prayer? I got my small group praying. We're, it's like, I'm going. And, and you're like, ah, I think it's awesome. You want to go. But there's a right way that God does this. There's a pattern of how he does it. And she usually confirmed multiple times. It's not quick, crazy decisions. And, and I've seen people where God does call people, and it is quick. And it's like, whoa. But he still uses confirmation over and over. And what happens is, is when it's really from God, it's like gravity. A calling is like gravity. And all of a sudden, like everything you see is like, I'm going to China. And there's confirmation. Hey, I had a dream about China. Hey, hey, um, God's put a burden on my heart for China. It's like, oh my goodness. And it's like, it's happening because it's from God. Not because you felt like it was cool to do, but it's because of a response to something that you've settled in and you made a, 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 a deliberate, prayerful response to. A lot of people will use the will of God as a way to escape real life. Well, we're just, just called to go. Be everywhere, be nowhere. That's what we're called to be. And what they have found is escapism and not the will of God. So how do we, how do we resolve this? I'm going to give you a couple ways. Number one. Godly counsel. You got to have godly counsel. You got to have community. You got to be people, have people in your life that you can run things by, pray with you about. You got to have that in your world. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, "Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is." Everybody say safety. safety. There is safety in the multitude of counselors. So here's the question: Who has veto power in your life? Who has veto power in your life? Who can say, you know what? I, I gotta, there's a check, and I've got I've to I've say no. There's people, there's people in my life who they say, God's telling, I believe that this is the wrong move without question. I don't see it, but there's a place that you are in my life where I honor that, and I trust them, and I honor that. Veto power. I gotta have godly counsel. Number two is provision. How is God providing? How is God making a way? Even my wife and I coming to Santa Rosa, my wife and I, the steps that we've made, it's never been something we've forced, it's never been something that we've tried to make happen. It's like God like, opens the door many times with provision. Philippians 4, 19, this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which, he has been, uh, which have been given in Christ Jesus. Amen. Elijah was the one who you know, stood and said, you got to choose this day, make a decision. And like, okay. And, and then he says, I'm caught. There's no more rain. And guess what? There was no more rain. And guess what? Elijah got thirsty. Have you ever done that? Like, 
Like he calls, like no more rain. And now Israel's in a drought and he's like, all of a sudden has the wherewithal. <gasps> that means I'm in a drought. Like I just prayed my own doom here. And God says, don't worry, go over by this brook. And the ravens start coming. Feeding him in the morning, feeding him in the afternoon. Meat and bread. There's a provision in the will of God. Yes, you're in the will of God. Yes. And it may not be the, the days of more than enough. It may be the days of just enough. But you're in God's will. You obeyed him. And here's what's cool. When you make one right decision, it's easy to make the next right decision. It's like this momentum of good decisions, this momentum. All of a sudden, it's like it overtakes you. It catches up with you. And then there's this awakening that happens in your soul to God's counsel and his will. Number three is circumstances, open doors. First Corinthians chapter 16 and 9 says this. First Corinthians chapter 16 and 9. For a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. There are many adversaries. So an open door doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble. Remember Jesus? He's in the boat. He's like, we're going to the other side. Awesome. We're going to the other side. He goes. <laughs> He's asleep in the boat. A storm comes. And the disciples are like, what just happened? Jesus knows they're going to the other side. But there was some trouble on the way. And they're like, get up from your siesta. We need you to get up here and speak. And Jesus is like, what is going on, guys? We're going to the other side. It's already done. It's already been said. Think about Paul, who it was the will of God for him to go to Rome. How tough was that boat trip in Acts 25, 26, 27? Have you read the story of the boat breaking to pieces? An angel comes and says, you're not going to die. No one's going to die. They'll just hold on to the ship. Hold on to the ship. Send me some sea dews. <laughs> Get me to shore. The will of God. But you don't see the forward motion the forward motion, there's forward motion, and they were in this predicament because others didn't listen to the will of God, essentially, but there's still forward motion, and he gets to Rome, and thank God he got to Rome. Open doors. He said there's an open door, an open door, an open door. When, it, when God opens a door, it's effortless. When God opens a door, it's like there may be some, some trouble, but it's like, man, God just keeps making a way. He keeps making a way. And then number four, the peace of God. The peace of God, the peace of God, the peace of God. Colossians chapter three and 15 says this, let the peace of God, excuse me, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. So you gotta have peace about it. You ever have that moment where you're like, I don't have peace about this. This doesn't feel right. Like don't bypass that because it's cool because everyone's doing it. Like, like, like recognize that and realize there's no peace God is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Like You've got to discern that. There has to be a witness in your spirit. Remember the story of Mary? An angel comes to Mary. Hey, you're going to be pregnant. Congratulations. And you're going to be talked about. And it's going to be really awkward, your story. And you're engaged. And, but you're going to carry the Christ child. And do you want this? And she says, at your word. Where does she go? She goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist, and she's just maybe a couple weeks from having the baby, and John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's belly, right? And Mary walks in, and Elizabeth is making Szechuan chicken, and she turns and sees Mary, and the Bible says that the baby leaped in her, 
He had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filled her, and she began to prophesy over Mary. There was this witness. There was this peace like, this is going to be all right. Like, God's in this. It does, it's awkward. It's what do you tell people. It, it's, it's very different. But most of the time when God's doing something, he does something new, and it's going to be different. And so it's one of those, oh, my goodness, this is a crazy moment. But again, if you don't have it, this isn't a crazy moment. You'll never have this is an amazing moment because it always begins with this is crazy, but stepping out by faith is every time. But there was a witness in her. My wife went on the trip to Brazil, and uh, you'll probably hear more about that later, but it was an amazing trip. But before, before she went, she was, <clears throat> she was invited to go, and it's a long story. But anyways, we were praying about it, like, okay, there's this opportunity. And I was literally seeking the Lord. I couldn't, I couldn't necessarily feel the way. And I said, okay, God, I, just, I need to hear from you. Like, we got to make a decision. got to hear from you. And I was having coffee with a couple in the church, and... The, the, the wife says, hey, this is kind of different. I know you can do whatever you want with this, but here's a date, and God says yes. It was the date they were leaving. God says yes. It's like, awesome, God. You're in the details. Like, you, you got our back. Like, and if he would have said, the answer is no, it have been no. That's the cool stuff about inquiring. The Bible says, don't lean to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. But here's the question. What's the threshold of us acknowledging him? Do we only acknowledge him on the big, hard stuff? Or what if we brought that threshold down and acknowledge him in every part of our life? Wouldn't that be awesome? To really get direction. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to, like, what color car to get? And, but you can do that. Abba, Abba. Why not? Why not consult God and say, what's your wisdom? What's your counsel? I know God loves Toyota the most because that's what I drive. Amen. Abba. Number four, and I'm, I'm going to close in just a moment. Number four. You have to discover your why. This is so important, and you've heard us talk about this a little bit. You've got to discover your why. Why are you here? The most important day of your life is not the day you were born. It's the day you discover why you were born. Why are you here? Jeremiah, I have plans for you. I have plans for, for you. God has plans for your life. I know that's hard for you to digest, receive. I know it's someone else, somewhere else. It makes sense. But in the narrative, the meta narrative of your head, it's hard to say that God has a plan for me. Yes, he does. Remember the story of Ezekiel, the first chapter? I don't know about you, but I, like when I read Revelation or Ezekiel, like I, I need to like, like brace myself. There's some crazy stuff in there. In the first chapter of Ezekiel, like, a sandstorm, these beasts, fireballs. Like, I, the fireballs, I'm just like, I want to stop, Lord. Keep reading. Fireballs, beasts with like five faces, excuse me, four faces, four wings, four feet, four arms. Like, what is happening? All this crazy stuff. And then there's, these, there's, a, there's, a, there's a wheel, and then there's a wheel within a wheel. And he sees it spinning. And can you imagine just like the, the, the picture of cacophony that's in the sky? Like, what is happening here? But it was when the wheel touched the earth that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit jumps on him. The Bible says it raised him up and called him into his purpose. Here's the point. 
is a lot of people, it's just, it's all this abstract stuff. Christianity is all this abstract stuff. But whenever it comes down and touches our world, when we allow it, we invite it to come and touch and to actually manifest and become part of our daily life, and we say yes to this, all this heavenly stuff, Holy Spirit stuff, tongue stuff, intercession stuff, gifts of the Spirit, and we say, Lord, I want that. And when it touches the earth, guess what? We step into what God has called us to be. So here's the question. Do we know our why? Do you know your why? Because when you know your why, you find your way. When you know your why, you know your way. God has made you very specific. You are not one in a million. You're a one of a kind designed by your creator. Philippians 2 and 13 says this, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He's working. You are a work of art. You're his wonderful creation. Ephesians 2 and 10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So long ago, before you were here, God had a plan for you. And he designed you as a masterpiece according to that plan. You will not fit in anyone else's plan but the plan that he has just for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, You can't fit my plan. you got to say it with boldness. Turn to your other neighbor and say, with a little attitude, you can't fit my plan. Do your hand like that. You can't fit my plan. This ain't going to happen. You can't fit my plan. Nobody can except the one that God fashioned and formed for that plan. There's a plan that God has for your life. 85% of Christians have no idea statistically why, why they're here on earth. They don't know God's plan. They don't know God's will. They're like... I excuse this phrase, but like, like space trash, just floating. No orbit, just kind of floating out there. You know, there's tons of space trash now outside of our atmosphere, just floating. And we just get out there, and we're like, this is cool. Where am I going? Satellite, cool. Where am I going? Satellite, you know what I mean? Like that, like I don't want to be, I want to know my place. I want to be in orbit. I want to be connected to something bigger than myself. I want to be connected to a vision. That's why we do growth track. Today at 1230, we have growth track. You know why we do that? Because it's never about us. It's about you. Because God's manifold wisdom is being revealed in you. I want to show you one more verse, and we're going to close. Ephesians 3 and 10. His intent was that now through the church, everybody say the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heaven and heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So his purpose and manifold wisdom, his plan and his purpose is revealed in the church. Guess, guess what the church is? It's you. It's me. We're the church. Like all of God's purpose and plan is not some institution it's the believers. It's the people who are in fellowship with our Heavenly Father. That's His plan. You are His plan. The church is His plan A, and there is no plan B, period. So we got to lean into that. God, I want to know my why. Make your calling and election sure. Today at 1230, step two, growth track. Again, growth track is just a vehicle. It's just a conversation that starts that awakening 
And I want to encourage you. Some of you are going, I want to know God's plan. I want to know God's will. I want to know God's way. How do I get plugged in? How do I learn more? How do I grow? Growth track is the way that happens. Would you stand? I'm going to ask this favor of everyone in this room. Would you be a good neighbor for just a moment? Just stay right where you are. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to pray. So grateful you're here today. So grateful that your heart is open to the Holy Spirit. Lord, we give you honor today. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And I thank you for what we're we're receiving and feeling here. God, you're calling your church up higher to a higher level of authority and a higher level of understanding so we can know what your will is. Our Savior Jesus said, my meat, my substance, what gives me strength is to do the will of the one who sent me. When I do your will, it gives me strength. When I step into your purpose, it makes me strong. Lord, today there are people who are responding with their heart and repentance and saying, I've been running my way. I've been doing it my way. I've been running hard in my own direction. Lord, I'm turning my heart. I'm repenting. I'm, there's a metanoia, a change of heart, change of mind. An about face is happening. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm ready to respond to your presence and say yes to your will. And as you reveal it to me, I'm going to walk in it. And as I learn of you, I'm going to walk in it. And as I read your word and learn about your plan for my life, I'm going to walk in it, Lord. I say yes today to your will. If you're here today and you want to say yes to his will, would you just slip your hand up very quickly? No one's looking around. I want to say yes to his will. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, Lord, but thine be done. Lord, I proclaim the righteousness of Christ over this congregation. I speak the life of Christ, the resurrection over this congregation. I pray, Lord, for every individual in this house, Lord, that you would shake them and awaken them unto righteousness and unto purpose and unto holiness. We've been set apart for your good pleasure. I declare it in the name of Jesus. We shall walk victorious over sin, over death, over the grave. We have found hope in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.